Welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know if you were a hero smited re-emerging for vengeance, what would your silhouetted backdrop be? Mine would be tungsten yellow pulled from a sunset. Take your time to think about it because I thought about it. This is Chandra. Honestly, it's a no-brainer for me. It would be the dying red ember light from a fire because you're rising from the ashes. It's much like a phoenix, but it's not necessarily ashy. It's like red hot coals because it's burning on a level that is beyond fire. I'm like blown away that you had an answer hot and ready. You know, I'm kind of emerging from my villain era. So (laughs) was it a thought that was already in your mind? You had thought about this before? or it keenly hit so you knew how to answer. I like watching superhero movies. You know, there's always that redemption arc. It's every Superman movie ever where he's big and bad and tough and then he meets somebody who's supposedly bigger and badder than him and he gets beaten up really bad and then he rises at the last second and overcomes the villain. It's not necessarily the underdog moment, but it's that moment where somebody is getting beaten down and then they have to find the strength within themselves to rise again. And I always think... how I interact with people and how the world interacts with me affects my fire. And I always think of myself in my worst moments when I felt like my flame was out, the only thing I had to cling to was embers, the coals. Fire can burn down a house in a second, but you throw an ember in a house and it will smolder and smolder, but it'll still destroy it. Unknowingly, that question really shifted into our working title for this episode, which is The Lion and the Lamb, which happy January, we're talking about March when I was in school grade school, March was always a big to-do. And you know, everything in grade school is a big to-do because you make everything an event to make it fun and exciting for a kid and for ideas to stick with you. And one idea that continues to stick with me is on March 1st, we would look out the window and the teacher would say, what's the weather like? Is it like a lion or is it like a lamb? And if it was stormy or dreary, then it was a lion. The last day of March, we would look out the window again and if it came in like a lion, then the understood part is it would go out like a lamb. Well, I still treat my marches that way and some of them are lion entrance, lion exit, or <laughs> lamb entrance, lamb exit, but you can imagine what a lamb day would be. It'd be sunshiny, fresh, full of life, and March to me is always kind of, uh, for where we're at, the tumultuous season. Still very cold, but then there are your first hints of spring. That's when the daffodils come in and stuff. And- I always think of March as the mud month. Well, it is that. I think the prettiest part of spring for us is late April. Then May is the full glory of it. But I have an excerpt. It focuses more on the lamb side of it, but there is a smear of lion in there. It's called The Little White Horse by Elizabeth Gouge. Just to set it up, this is by the Saturday Review. The theme of this story is as old as the fairy tales, and it is written with a haunting beauty of wording and atmosphere. It is a book to cherish, to read again, and again, and again. And that's what tipped me off more than just the description of the book itself. The author was born in 1900. It always helps me understand a book more when I know what time period the author lived in. She uses commas either not at all or in very weird places, and so I kind of had to practice reading this excerpt because the cadence of it seemed a little off. Just in her placement of commas and stuff. It's about a girl who's on the brink of womanhood 
Her father has died, and so she is rehomed to a family member. It's her cousin. She's never met him before, and so when she goes to his manor, it's almost like entering a fairy world. Everything's cast in this moonlight because she arrives at night, and things look equal parts majestic, but also mysterious. And she's drawn into this dark secret of her family if something's not right. Ooh. And so when she learns one of her ancestors, Sir Rolf, has wronged a monster, monastery he pretty much kicked them off of this place called paradise hill and took it for his own and so the monks had to go elsewhere and the sheep that the monks kept he took as his own so she's thinking that this reoccurring almost like a curse on her family is because of him doing that and she's trying to set it right this scene is where she for the first time visits paradise hill and she's taking it all in and she's taking ownership of her ancestor's mistake this is her kind of figuring out how she wants to set it right so she's looking for inspiration. So in this excerpt, we meet her. We meet a shepherd boy. We meet her animal guardians. One is Rolf, named after her ancestor. He's described as a big reddish odd looking dog and something's not right about him. Well, we learn later on it's because he's not a dog. He's actually a lion. And she has a hare that she rescued named Serena. And then there's also mention of her horse Periwinkle that transported her to the bottom of the hill. They were nearly at the top of the hill now, and looking up, she could see the old storm-twisted beech trees, their new leaves burning like tongues of green fire against the violet sky, with the old gray fallen stones beneath them. She was among the sheep now. The mothers lifted their heads to look at her and bawed in welcome, and the little lands came gambling all about her. It was strange to her that they did not seem in the least afraid of Rolf. One or two came budding into him, and he sent them flying with a playful blow of a great paw that did not hurt them at all, but just sent them tumbling head over heels in delight. As for Serena, she lolloped in and out among the sheep and seemed to be telling them something, for they all looked at Maria and were very pleased and bawed again. What was that music? Somewhere up there beneath the beech trees, someone was playing a shepherd's pipe and the happy little tune came floating down to Maria like a voice calling her. They got to the top of the hill at last, and Rolf stopped, and she slipped off his back. Stay there, she said to him and to Serena, and then ran eagerly forward beneath the beech trees, climbing over the old gray stones. Are you there? she cried. Shepherd boy, are you there? But there was no answer, and the music now was still. There was nothing to be heard except the trickle of hidden water. She stood still and looked this way and that and listened, but there was nothing. I must have imagined it, she said to herself. It must just have been the water. And for a moment she could have cried with disappointment. But only for a moment, for Maria had too much sense to let her spirits be dampened by minor disappointments. And there was so much to look at that she soon forgot about that fancied tune. The beech trees, with their smooth gray trunks and branches stretched this way and that, were more like people than trees. Like old gray monks, with arms held wide in blessing. And deep within the circle of the beech trees, part of the walls of the monastery was still standing, overgrown grown with ivy and brambles. Maria found herself standing before a beautiful carved doorway in the broken wall, half hidden by a falling curtain of ivy. She pushed the curtain aside and stepped in and found herself in what must once have been a small paved court. 
The paving stones were still there, littered with fallen stones, covered with weeds and brambles. In the center of the court was a beautiful clump of ferns, and from deep within it came that tinkle of water. Inside, there, she said to herself, is the holy well. Maria gathered her green cloak about her, knelt down upon the paving stones, folded her hands, and shut her eyes and said a prayer. For this, she remembered, had been a holy place, and her wicked ancestor, Sir Rolf, had taken it away from God to have it for himself. And now they said his ghost haunted this place and could not enter paradise because of his sins. O oh God, she prayed, please forgive Sir Rolf for being so greedy, and please show me how to give this place back to you, and then please let him go to paradise. There was a queer clanging sound, almost like a horse's iron hoofs slipping on stones, and she opened her eyes suddenly. But there was nothing unusual to be seen. Only a curtain of ivy hanging on the wall opposite her was swaying a little, as though someone had just passed by. She got up and went to it and pulled it aside, and there beyond it was another low stone archway in the wall. But beyond this archway was not the hillside, but darkness, and a flight of steps leading down into the earth. There must be a cellar or something down there, said Maria, and she would have gone in and explored had not her attention been caught by something else, a shepherd's pipe lying on a flat stone behind the doorway. So she had heard someone playing a pipe after all. With a beating heart, she knelt down beside the pipe, and she would have picked it up, only quite suddenly, the most alarming things began to happen. The first thing that happened was that the bawling of the sheep outside on the hill changed its note, ceased to be contented and happy, and became a bleeding of terror. And then there came a flash of lightning and a crash of thunder overhead. She jumped up and ran back the way she had come, out onto the hillside, and there, away in the distance, she saw Periwinkle making for home as fast as she could, with the pony carriage leaping and jolting over the rough ground. And then, looking about her, she saw the reason for the frightened bawling of the sheep, for scattered over the hillside were the figures of some half-dozen men dressed in black, shadowy, frightening figures that looked as though they might have dropped from the storm clouds overhead. And they were stealing the lambs. Two of them were already making off down the hill with pathetic white woolly forms flung over their shoulders. Rolf! Rolf! shouted Maria, but a deep roaring sound from the other side of the hill told her that Rolf was engaged with other men from the dark woods whom she could not see. If she were going to rescue those lambs, Meriwether lambs, her lambs, she must do it herself. Though she was absolutely terrified, she did not hesitate. Gathering up her skirts in both hands, she went dashing off down the hill, shouting, Put those lambs down, I tell you, they're my lambs, put them down! But the men with the lambs went on while the other four came running towards Maria, brandishing their sticks and laughing, though their eyes were flashing in their dark faces in a very nasty way, a way that boded ill for Maria. I'm not afraid of you, she called to them, though she was so afraid that her tongue almost stuck to the roof of her mouth. You dare hurt my lambs, you dare. After that, it became most confusing. The thunder pealed and the lightning flashed and the rain came down like silver spears and the men from the dark woods were closing in upon her. To her right, through the rain, she dimly saw a slim figure dressed in brown with a shepherd's crook in his hand, running towards her and on her left, Rolf was bounding to the rescue with Serena, leaping along behind him. But they were not nearly as close as they were.
And then, through the noise of the thunder and the rain, she distinctly heard the hoofs of a galloping horse pounding upon the turf. As the horseman was behind her, she could not herself see anything, but whoever he was, the men from the dark woods seemed to see him. For with faces blanched by terror, they turned and fled. And then the two men carrying the lambs turned round, looked up, saw whatever it was the others had seen, dropped the lambs, and fled also. And the slim, brown, running figure came to her and took her hand, and he was Robin. Quick, he cried, there are lots more of them about. Quick, run to the monastery and take shelter. Rolf and I will round up the sheep. Run. And Maria ran, and as she ran, she looked about her for the horseman on the galloping horse, but there was nothing to be seen. Only the rain and the old beaches up above her on top of the hill. She made for these as for the shelter of home, ran beneath them, and did not stop running until she reached the little paved court and the holy well. There it was still and quiet, and the interlaced branches overhead kept off most of the rain. She dropped down, panting beside the spring, and knew that she was safe. She could hear Rolf roaring as he herded the sheep, and Robin's clear voice calling to them in comfort and reassurance. And soon, led by Serena, they all came trooping in around her. The big woolly mothers and the little lambs with their black faces and wagging tails and long, ungainly legs. Merry weather lambs. Her lambs. She held out her hands to them and made comforting noises. And they and their mothers crowded round her. They bent their heads to drink from the cool spring. And she stroked their heads and talked to them as though they were her children. The rain stopped and a shaft of pale sunlight shone down into the little court and turned the bubbling water to silver and the sheep's wool to cloth of gold. Then she looked up and Robin was standing by her. And Rolf was there too, shaking himself vigorously to get the wet off his fur. We are safe here, said Robin. This is a holy place. And the men from the dark woods are wicked and they never come here. They are afraid of it. Maria looked up at him. He was looking unusually serious and very wet and the raindrops were dripping off the end of the feather in his hat. So you are the shepherd boy, said Maria. I am, Sir Benjamin Shepherd Boy, and Garden Boy, and General Oddjobber, said Robin. Didn't you know? I was playing my pipe here when suddenly I felt that something was wrong, and I went out and saw them coming up the other side of the hill. But I could never have chased them off if it hadn't been for you and Rolf helping me. And that man on horseback, said Maria. What man on horseback, asked Robin. I heard a man on horseback galloping behind me, said Maria. It was just after I had called Rolf, Rolf, that I heard him. I didn't see him, but they did. It's funny that you didn't see him. No, I didn't see him, said Robin, and he spoke very soberly indeed, and the water went drip, drip off the end of his draggled feather. You are wet, Robin, said Maria. So are you, said Robin. And the spoiler about Robin is, before she moved to her guardian's house after her father passed, her guardian being Sir Benjamin, she had an imaginary play friend named Robin. And that's this guy. And she would tell her governess, oh, I played with Robin today. And her governess is like, you're not playing with anybody. I've never met him. I've never seen him. He's imaginary. No, he's not imaginary. He's real. He visits me. And so here she meets him again. Mm. And she's piecing together his role in this world. How old is she? 
she's about 15 or okay. 13 or 15. She's on the verge of becoming a woman, more or less. So she has this girlishness to her, but also the duty and maturity of taking Those charge. are my lambs, yeah. I bought the book because it was going to be one of our book club books. Yeah. And it intrigues me more because I had no idea what it was about. There's so much in there to talk about. It would be good maybe to have a different translation of that yeah, same scene. Yeah, because we do see things a little differently. Maybe it's because I'm very much a tangible person. And so I miss a lot of stuff. Do you though? Or you're just focusing on different stuff? It almost reminds me of an eyewitness account. If you're seeing an event unfold and I'm seeing an event unfold, let's just say a carjacking, you're going as a witness to remember maybe a very different story than what I remembered because your cognitive system is focusing on something that I'm not focusing on. Maybe what the guy's wearing. And I'm focusing on the details of the hysterical crowd around us. I have another book I could read about eyewitness (laughs) accounts. The guy who wrote this book is a detective, but he talks about how there is always something wrong when all the eyewitness accounts are almost identical. So of course, how would reading a book be any different? In this, I would say there is the allegory of Jesus being the shepherd and having his lambs. She's calling the lambs to her. But then also the lion and the lamb. When I think of the lion, I think of the more masculine side. In charge. Sir Rolf is her ancestor, but then also this lion is named Rolf. It's kind of this weird thing. You're like, did her ancestor reincarnate? Carnate. Do you ever find out? Not necessarily. That's why I wanted to make a point to read the Saturday Review, how it has this haunting beauty to it because there's enough answer, but then also enough left where you're like, what did that actually mean? The galloping horseman. What was that? Who was that? Do you ever that? find out? I think you make your own inferences. I think that it was her ancestor, Sir oh, the Rolf. the spirit of him? The spirit of him because so when like he died, forever. Purgatory. he haunts that hill and that's why the men from the dark woods don't stick around because he, in his waking life, was warlike and conquering. This is my hill, I'm going to take it from you. And she, being the softer side of the generation or the family tree, is realizing that's very wrong. You have to understand that she's almost like a foreigner coming in because though she by blood is tied to this land, she's only just entering it. Mm -hmm. And the people in the village have actually been in the land longer than her. So she finds herself in this weird state of being very new to the family, but carrying the burden of a very old family skeleton in the closet, more Mm. or less, and trying to set things right because it's for the good. She's making an event of going to Paradise Hill it's very important to her and so when she's riding in this little pony carriage with her pony periwinkle which was a gift to her from her guardian sir benjamin it's a very beautiful day going in like a lamb and then suddenly in that same day it changes to stormy lightning lion-like weather when rolf is no longer there he's engaged with men from the dark woods on the other side of the hill that she can't even see she's like oh well they're taking the lambs it's up to me well there's a shepherd boy off in the distance holding the shepherd's crook but she doesn't realize that it's Robin that she actually does sort of know Robin and so Mm. she's shocked she's like so you're the shepherd boy and you know there's just a lot of weird feelings happening on this hill and then is that a ghost did you see that what guy and I love the description of the men they just appeared like they were rained down from the storm Mm, cloud it's like supernaturally yes I would believe anything maybe they were (laughs) falling from this cloud and this whole book has this based in reality but then twisted into fairy tales 
detail and then almost like an Alice in Wonderland thing kind of but then you also have to understand that it's told from the eyes of a young girl so she has that kiddish also a young girl who's been uprooted at a particular time in her life where reality is hard and she's at the cusp of becoming an adult she takes it with grace you know she could move into this mansion and be like oh this is what was owed to me this is mine but she's taking charge of it and taking duty of it and wanting to have an active involvement in it what can I do yeah, it's because it's control of her situation would you rather come in like a lion and leave as a lamb or come in as a lamb and leave as a lion I think I would rather come in like a lion and leave like a lamb there's a power in both the gentle strength I almost admire more than the upfront strength because it is such a discipline. And so I kind of like the idea if you enter really, really violent, but then leave peacefully. I agree with you because I think about the other way and you go in polite, but then to end on the lion, I think you're leaving on an explosive note. I'd rather punch in the gut and then soothe them down a little bit and then leave. Both are very exciting to me. And I think that's why I like storms so much the quiet before a storm Mm. or april storm honestly it's a balance between the two i always see lions as courageous and strong apex predator they're go-getters and they also have the family pride dynamic and then lambs they're soft vulnerable they're quiet they Um, need direction they need direction they're in a herd and the herd itself they only are together for safety the pride has a purpose they're doing stuff in a collaborative and herds not necessarily if we're all together they can't get us all right it's a numbers game i don't like being a lamb because it means being a number being a part of the crowd because i think that makes you vulnerable to losing your independence and your freedom as yourself so that's what i like about the lion they are their own but together they use each other to work as a well-oiled machine to get something done they can work independently or as a unit yes so there's strength in that whereas the sheep could not work independently they have to only be a unit but i have always really liked the anonymity of a big group i don't like participating in a crowd but i like being in a crowd i don't like being in a grocery store with a lot of people but i like being in a stadium of people because it's more organized you're in your assigned seat there's direction Order. there that's the difference in a taurus and a sagittarius yeah, probably. right there because sagittarius are all about being themselves and Taurus, they're a team player. I don't really think of a Taurus as naturally making waves. There is a lot of self-interest, lavish living, eating. They can play along, but the minute you tell them to play along, they're like, oh, hell no. You know, it has to be their idea. When you think about herding animals, it's like, you know, if that's the way that they were going to go, they'll do it. The second you give them just a little bit of a push and they're like, oh no, we cannot. (laughs) Especially if you have tried to herd pigs. I can imagine, but no, I've not herded (laughs) pigs. It's quite literally a hands-on job, one at a time. If you've ever seen somebody show pigs, they have the stick because they just do whatever the fuck they want. They have a very curious mind and they can problem solve. You fix a hole in the fence and the next day they're going to find the next
next weak spot in the fence just for fun. I really got to hand it to the pig because of all the animals on earth, it's one of the most versatile. Like you could take a domestic pig, turn it loose, and it will be feral within a short amount of time. Yes, adaptable. The hair changes, it will grow tusks. It really just becomes the best of its environment and quite dangerous. If I ever had to think of an animal that was the perfect combination of a lion and a lamb, it would be the pig. I absolutely can see that. When I think of the lion, I think of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and how that was a allegory for Christ. Every time I see a lion in a story, that's my first thought. Is that Jesus? In this instance, in that scene, the lion is her courage and strength. And when he was not available, the physical formation of her courage and strength was not available. She had to find it within herself. And then at the well with the sheep, she became kind spoken and they were finding comfort and safety with her. So she was able to transition and be both of those things. Outwardly courageous versus inwardly courageous. It even plays into the sun and the moon. She's described as having silvery eyes and silvery hair. Her guardian, when he sees her for the first time, when she's coming to live with him, oh, I knew you were a Meriwether. I could tell by your face, by your attributes. Mm. You have that moon quality to you because he's this jolly disposition, round, rotund, sunshiny guy. Mm-hmm. And she takes after the Meriwether side that is slim. You've come home, my dear, he said, but you can't put what you feel into words. No Meriwether can. We don't wear our hearts on our sleeves. Please, sir, said Maria. What is the meaning of those words that are carved over the fireplace in the parlor? The brave soul and the pure spirit shall, with a merry and a loving heart, inherit the kingdom together, quoted Sir Benjamin. That's our family motto, my dear. It's been our motto since the days of the first Sir Rolf. It refers, I think, to the two sorts of Merryweathers, the sun and the moon Merryweathers, who are always merry when they love each other. It is also, perhaps, a device for linking together those four qualities that go to make up perfection, courage, purity, love, and joy. Which I took that to heart, and so that propelled me to continue to learn more about it. But I think this was a good teaser for maybe a book club episode yeah. in the future. But it almost kind of reminds me of how we did Sunshine. You shared it, mm-hmm. and then I read it, and then we talked about it. So it might be another one of those instances. talking about lambs but suddenly we're on pigs and it's still applicable yes see i had to apply it why did she talk about pigs it's not in the title but now (laughs) maybe it will be (laughs) whatever yeah whatever (laughs) lions lambs dot 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 and pigs yes when pigs fly we'll be talking about lambs yeah (laughs) how does swine apply well livestock episode i get so anxious and have to get up and physically have an outlet otherwise it just elevates it's like (laughs) bubbling over i get anxious because the story's building and i just have to like I keep I read faster amazing I feel the anxious building when I'm reading but it's almost too much I'll stop at a climactic point to go outside because I, I'm like can't I cannot physically do that reading my dragon's promise book yeah so <laughs> you're in for a wild ride I'm so excited for it I had to put it away because it was taking up too much of my time I sat and I read that book for like eight hours and then I had to put it away and then the next day the second that I was free oh I'm gonna go take my dog 
dog for a walk, all this stuff. I saw the book in the corner of my eye and I was like, I'll just read a chapter. Yes, it is one of those books, absolutely. It is. It's exciting to have a book like that Well, because that again. this is like, and you just keep jumping to more shit and they're just like, there's no end. But anyways... That's enough about Dragon's Promise because there will be an episode about that. In her pony carriage, she was with her governess and there were a couple things where she mentioned her governess, but it, I just left that part out because oh, I was I like, see. why, why? Because then I would have to introduce the governess. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't, I, it, yeah, less, less is more for me. Like I yeah. could have just mentioned that her governess was Miss Heliotrope, but I just didn't no, want to. we didn't need to. We didn't it, need to know. The moral of what I was trying to get to was simply that 